right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, we'll get into our um, our lesson here. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, open with a word of prayer, and we'll get right over there into Philippians chapter 3 and uh, get going tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again that we have an opportunity, Lord, to study your word. Lord, it is just uh, such a blessing that uh, knowing that you've uh, communicated these truths to us, that, Lord, we can have um, a trust and a confidence in you, uh, not in our own flesh, Lord, but uh, in who you are and what you have done for us. Pray, Lord, that as we look at this uh, next chapter, that, Lord, you would just clearly give us uh, uh, the... Um, the the, uh, the the truths that are there from your uh, from your word to, uh, by your Holy Spirit to us that Lord we would uh, understand them and that Lord we would apply them Lord that we would exercise extreme caution and care uh, in this world and we would be aware of those things that are working against us working against you things that are false and things that can uh, take us away from serving you the way that you desire us to. Pray, Lord, you be with me and just speak through me tonight. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we had kind of finished up looking at the uh, chapter 2, talking a bit about Epaphroditus and uh, that care that's there. Um, now, you know, again, we're, we're talking about a certain mindset, uh, that a believer is supposed to have, the Christian mindset. How does a believer, um, actually look at, uh, the things that are going on in this world, the things with, uh, uh, the body of Christ, the church, um, the things that God has an expectation of us? And we've, we've seen a lot of that in chapter two, because that is one of the, 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 the core, of the book. It's really, truly kind of setting the stage for the remaining two chapters, the, the mindset, uh, the mind of Christ, the, the obedience, the humbleness, the form of a servant, all of those things that we need to have in our life. And then we saw that care and compassion. And, and as we move into to chapter three, the important part about this is the, the issue of false doctrine. Um, you know, sometimes people kind of have a different view of how doctrines work and false doctrines. Um, many times people will kind of look at false doctrines some way in a harmless manner. Um, but, uh, but they're not really. Um, uh, false doctrine has a very um, distinct permeating effect in our spiritual life. Uh, it can destroy uh, a Christian's walk in a very short period of time. Uh, we see that throughout a lot of the uh, the New Testament passages, a lot of the warnings that Paul has. Um, you know, obviously, you go over to the book of Acts, and he's warning the church at Ephesus. He says uh, he, he's warning them that there's going to be grievous wolves coming in, and he warns them that not only are they going to come from the outside, but they're going to come from the inside. And they're going to attempt to try to carry people away. And, and again, that's one of the main things that we look at when it comes to false doctrine. So let's read the first uh, uh, three verses here, and, and we'll kind of get established in these principles. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write uh, the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. 
For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's going to go into his confidence, if you will, and I use that kind of in, in quotes, uh, speaking as a fool, uh, saying, look, if we're going to start comparing confidence in the flesh, he says, I pretty much got you all beat. But again, he considers those things uh, um, irrelevant at, at this point in time, saying that they're uh, considered, if you will, dung for, for Christ. They're, they're just, they're nothing. They're, 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 just, they're just to be cast away. And what we find is that there is this uh, distinct declaration about how this church should be behaving, especially when it comes to this issue of false doctrine. I want to point out here that one of the first things that he talks about is this uh, uh, this rejoicing that's here. Um, he, He makes it very clear, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This is kind of, if you will, a continue of chapter two. That, that first phrase, that first sentence is a continuation of chapter two. He's moving into that saying, look, so, so all of these things that we just talked about, the one thing that we need to make sure that we're focusing on is can we rejoice in Christ? With all the things that we have, with all the things that have been given to us, can we actually rejoice in the Lord? Now, as we're going to go through this and take a look at a few things here with this warning regarding false doctrine and the importance of, of truth that we see, he reiterates over and over and over again. I mean, uh, just kind of keep your place there. We can go over to the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 15, just to point out a couple of things. Uh, Romans chapter 15, and let's go ahead and take a look at verse... Uh, <clears throat> Let's see here, Romans chapter 15, and um, take a look at verse uh, um, 17 here. He says, I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that, uh, so that from Jerusalem and round about, uh, uh, unto Ericlium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying here is he's not going to drag himself into this situation. Now obviously he, he, you know, he, he's not saying that he's gonna, you know, have an out of body experience, but he's not going to have flesh brought into this. Yeah, you know, as we, he's going to go into this idea that he can sit there and he can boast and he can talk about all of these things. What we find here is that he's saying that the, one of the key important purposes of what he's preaching is that it's all about Jesus Christ. And I want to establish that very clearly because what we find in, you know, in the book of Romans is that there is an element of people that are trying to come in and subvert this gospel of Christ. They're trying to subvert it in the form of, uh, that, that works being necessary for salvation. Uh, and, and again, that's, that's not the case here. And I mean, obviously the book of Ephesians, he addresses it in, in chapter two and verse, uh, eight and nine. He says, it is not of works, lest any man should boast. And again, I, I'm pointing these, these verses out for a reason. Go over to the book of Galatians really quickly. Galatians chapter six. 
Galatians chapter 6. And we know the book of Galatians is very, very much with uh, a certain type of doctrine. And it's a similar doctrine that is going on over here at Philippi. Now look, it's some of the same doctrine that was going on in Rome. It's some of the same doctrine that was going on in Corinth. Some of the same doctrine that we, we see throughout a lot of the, uh, um, the, the New Testament letters that Paul wrote. And even some of the stuff that uh, uh, obviously uh, Peter and John were writing. And what we find is we find this, this idea of the flesh and how it's to be elevated. In, in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 14, it says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Now, again, these verses are meant to point out something. And what we see here is that every single time the flesh seems to be being brought up here, Paul is very clearly pointing to Jesus Christ. Every single time this flesh is brought up, it's pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, the main reason is because when you go back over there and you see this idea and concept of rejoicing, and then you, he starts in on this idea and concept uh, in, in verse 2, talking about false doctrine. The reason I want to point this out is because false doctrine will steal away your joy. It will, it will rob you of it. You go over to the book of Galatians, and he talks about uh, how they had been bewitched. He, he talks about uh, uh, some of the false doctrine that was creeping in in the church at Ephesus. Uh, I mean, every single one of his books, he, he's referencing something in some way, shape, or form about a false doctrine. Now, again, he, while we see a lot being talked about these Judaizers, which are very clearly uh, people that are coming in trying to bring Old Testament law into the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. He's the one that finished the work. He's the one that completed it. It's the power of his resurrection. It is his precious shed blood that we talked about over there in, in, in First Peter. All of those things, it's all about Christ. Not what we do, but it's about Christ. Now, Now, that being said, I want us to focus on something. When we start talking about false doctrine, and I want you to keep this in this mindset as we move through this. When we start talking about false doctrine... All false doctrine has a root. It has a root. Now, look, I, I don't care whether you're talking about in, in the form of, uh, you know, strict Catholicism of, you know, the Pope is next to God and what he says goes, or whether it's a Mormon bishop or a Mormon prophet and what he says goes, or it's an imam or a sheikh or an ayatollah or whatever it may be that, it, you know, is, has the word of Allah or whatever it may be. Whatever, whatever those things are, they all have the same root. They all have the same root. Let me show that to you. Go over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this is the same root that you saw the Judaizers, if you will, the Pharisees doing when Jesus Christ was in, in his ministry. They were afraid of losing their position and their country if Jesus Christ continued doing what he was doing. Well, of course they were going to lose their position. 
Now, obviously, the country would have been established under Christ, under the kingdom, but they would have had no part of it. They would not have been included in the kingdom of heaven. They would have been considered outsiders. Now, that's, again, very important. Because an outsider, according to what we see in Scripture, there's two references to them. And the two references that that is used to outsiders, people that are outside, that are outside of the alien, uh, the, the the Commonwealth of Israel, the aliens, the Gentiles, if you will, he calls them pigs and dogs. Now, what did he just call them in verse two? Dogs. Uh, now, now watch this in Genesis chapter three. What we see here is um, he makes a, a very distinct statement. Where um, in verse uh, four, and the serpent said unto the woman, "Ye shall not surely die for the day, for God knoweth that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." What is he doing? Promoting flesh, putting flesh at God's level or above, and that's a, that's a that's a very much a Luciferian. Mentality, and what I mean by that is that's exactly what Lucifer did. He states, <coughs> excuse me, he states five times, "I will, I will, I will, I will, I will." Right? He wants to ascend above God. The end result that we see is he is knocked down. Now he still thinks he's going to get to that point. But what we find out through all of this is that this this infection of sin has spread now to mankind. Take a look over in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. And uh, in, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 11, not Genesis chapter 10. And in verse 1 it says in Genesis uh, chapter 11, and the whole earth... Uh, was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, they were supposed to go out, spread out, but they all kind of congregated in one place. And it says, And they said one to another, Go, let us make a brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, why is that? Why would they want to do that? The answer is right there in the next phrase. And let us make us a name. Lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. Now, you go over into the book of Revelation and you find this woman showing up by the name of Mystery Babylon. And everybody wants to try to put uh, some sort of religion hanging around her neck. And the people have said, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church. People have said it's the Greek Orthodox Church. Some people have said it is uh, um, uh, Judaism as it is known today. Some people have said it's actually Islam because of, you know, Babylon. Uh, I have heard just about every single religion getting tagged to that woman. Now, they're collectively all wrong and then collectively right at the same time. Now, how is that? Because every last one of those false doctrines, every last one of those false religions has one common thread, the elevation of man. You can have forgiveness of sins through your own works. No, you cannot. God makes that clear. 
You can get to the status of God. No, you cannot. I mean, all of these things, as we go through and we see this, it becomes very, 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 very clear that there's this elevation of flesh. And that today is called humanism. The mystery religion that's over there is the humanistic mentality. It's right there in, in, in Babel, the Tower of Babel, as they are creating that, which is the root of Babylon itself, which comes all the way from Genesis chapter 3, which translates all over to the Pharisaical system, and now the Judaizers post-Christ's resurrection, we see it's the same thing. Flash, 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 flash. That's all it is. And it's not a spiritual condition. It's not a, a religion. It's not one that is truly connecting with the right spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself. It's connecting with all sorts of other things, but again, it's for the glorification of flesh. Now, what we find here in this passage, in going back over there, he talks about it in verse 1, where he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And again, when we start rejoicing in our own flesh is when we bring problems on ourselves. That's when we really get in trouble. When we start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, as it is written in Scripture, what happens? We need to be careful. Take heed lest ye fall. I mean, there's so many passages that we can just kind of blend all together to create that truth of if somebody is going to seek after their own flesh and glorification thereof, then you're going to wind up with a false doctrine. Now, whether we were talking about Judaizers in which we were talking about that here or any other religion that creeps in, he's saying, look, there has to be some care that's here. The only way that we can really truly rejoice is if we were rejoicing in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his mindset that we should be carrying, that we should be having. And he says this, he says, to write to you the same, uh, to, to write the same things to you, to me isn't indeed not grievous, but it, but for you it is safe. Now what he's saying here with this is very specific. This is not a new doctrine to them. This is not new truth. Every single last one of these uh, um, uh, you know letters that he's been writing, he he's he's visited many of these these churches. He knows a lot of the people that are there, and he's even put people in place to help them and to guide them and to direct them and help them along. And I'll tell you this, one of the key things that we find with this is he finds, he, we find this repetition. What does he do? He repeats himself over and 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 over again, right? So what happens when a person is going through this process of repeating themselves? Well, we're teaching truth. Now, I, I, I had, um, you know, I, w- I was homeschooled from sixth grade, uh, or excuse me, from seventh grade to graduation till, till high school. I graduated, um, got my little diploma thing from, uh, the, the school. Um, and, uh, I, I used a curriculum, uh, that is known as a Becca and it comes from, you know, a place, uh, down in Pensacola, Florida. Um, and it, it, one of the things that if you noticed, and if you've ever had any Abeka curriculum, 
is they repeat themselves ad nauseum. I, I swear, they re- just, you know, they just put a new cover on the grammar book every year. That's, I mean, it was just like, I, I remember opening it up one time, looking at it and going, wait a second. Go over and get my old one from the year before and I put it down and I'm like, man, these chapters are almost the same. I'm like, oh, come on. You could have just given a little supplement. We didn't need an old new book. Come on. But therein lies the mindset. You know what really, truly continues to help a Christian? Repetition. Repetition. Repetition is key in any, any Christian life. Let me explain this. The, the more that you repeat, the more that you will learn. We learn habits distinctly by repeating them, right? We, 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 that's what we do. Any habit. I, I don't, I don't care what you're talking about. Any habit. I mean, some of us probably have a, a if you will, uh, I dare say this word, ritual when we wake up, right? There's certain things that we do. We wake up, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this, you know? All of those things. There's a certain time of day that we do stuff. You know, when I go to work, I don't like to have my coffee right away because I, I, I don't want a, a chemical-induced, uh, if you will, uh, um, mind trying to focus. What I do is I just, I just, I just start right into work. I don't give myself time to prep for work. I jump right in. I just start drafting agreements. And, and I'm talking about sometimes there's only a few minutes between when I wake up and when I start. So yeah, I go to, sometimes I, I, I'll, I'll go to work in my pajamas. <laughs> Cause I'll, I'll just get up and I'll just, you know, I know I've got to get stuff done. So I'll get going and I'll start going through that. And, and you know what that does? That wakes up your mind. People will say the best way to wake up your mind in the morning is this. Do a math problem. And I'm like, well, for us dyslexics, we're going to go ahead and go with, uh, you know, drafting a, a legal agreement. That works great. <laughs> but they're saying, yeah, do a hard, do a hard like geometry or algebra problem. And I'm like, what are you nuts? No, <laughs> who does that? Some people do. Some people will grab and they'll do a puzzle of Sudoku or whatever it is. And what it does is it starts getting the mind, gets those, if you will, gears a moving, and then you can start to think. Now, I'll tell you, there's, there's something better than that. You get into the Word of God and you start reading the Word of God, guess what happens? You're going to have to get engaged. You're like, well, I'm just too foggy to, to get into it. Well, then you're not concentrating hard enough. We, we develop certain habits. You go over there and what do the psalmist say? He says morning, uh, midday and lunch, or evening, what is he doing? He's, he's praying. He's meditating on the word of God. You go over to Deuteronomy and he, what does he say? He says, I want you to, to think about God and every time, every time you're doing something, he's like morning, uh, midday, evening, all of this time, you're supposed to be talking about God. When he, when you're in your home, you're supposed to have his, you know, things written on the doorstep, you know, on the front lid of your eyes, all of these things. He's reiterating this so it becomes a habit because we can fall into the wrong sinful habits that quick. We can fall into the right godly habits in the same degree. 
But again, it comes down to how do we approach it? So when we see this here, we see this idea and this mindset of when we are being, uh, when we're listening to the same thing, it is a repetition that we get to, to learn. Now there are, there are some people that I know that if they, if they hear a verse or a sermon that they think they've heard before, they immediately just, they turn, tune out. They don't want to hear it. Well, that's not right. Whether you've heard it before or whether you've heard it five times before, it makes no difference. You might get something new. I mean, how many times have we read through the Bible and we go through and we go, wait a second, I don't remember that. Well, there's a reason why. Because again, God doesn't reveal everything to us. You know, when we trust Christ as our Savior, he didn't give us an automatic USB that we can plug into the back of our head and download everything. Didn't happen. If it happened to you, well, um, that's a little weird, but okay. <laughs> but what I want to emphasize is, is, as he's saying this, he says very clearly to write the same things to you. To write the same things. So whether it is actually in a verbal form or whether it is in a written form, regardless of what it is, he says, look, this, this isn't a problem for me. Some people, they don't like to repeat themselves. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't want to repeat myself? Then there's a problem. You have to repeat yourself. I don't know how many times I have to repeat myself at the job. And yeah, sometimes it does get frustrating, but I have to remember this. Then they obviously didn't learn the first two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighteenth, nineteenth <laughs> times. But let's just ask the question. Did we learn how to do right the very first time? Or how many times did God have to correct us? So here he's saying, look, this isn't grievous for me. The, the fact that I have to write this, these same things to you, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. And it shouldn't be. It should never be a problem to teach somebody a principle or a truth that you may have already told them. Why? Because it's safety for them. He said it's safe. It's safe. There are certain things that I won't do. I was talking about this the other day with some folks. Uh, I, You know, there are certain things that I just won't do. I don't like heights, but I have no problem rock wall climbing. Well, why is that? Because I'm tied off. I have a harness on. There's a guy down below. Yeah, there's a lot of confidence you put in that equipment, and there's a lot of confidence you put in... Uh, uh, in that, uh, uh, the guy that's, uh, uh, you know, on belay down below, uh, all of that. I, yeah, I totally get that. You're putting a lot of confidence. You're putting a lot of confidence in things that do fail. I get it. But I'll tell you this, if I was to just go freestyle and start climbing a, uh, look, I've done a little freestyle. You want to know how far I got off the ground? Six inches. <laughs> I just did some lateral, you know, crawling across the wall. I wasn't going to go all the way to the top. There was, you know, obviously uh, a little bit of a limit where I was climbing. They wouldn't allow certain people that were at certain stages to go that way. 
because again, they didn't want somebody to be injured. But I'll tell you this, if there's a safety harness, that's not a problem. I, I got no problem being in a helicopter, even if the doors are open. Totally fine with that. In a plane, I'm fine with that. Things like that, totally fine. You get me on a bridge, though, and I look over the edge, I get sick. I can't do it. Because I'm not, there's no confidence, there's no safety. So I say all of that to say this, the repetition that we do is the same repetition that we do to make sure things are safe. A person that has truly has OCD, if you've ever seen them, they are a very interesting person. Now, a lot of people will say that they have OCD, but you know what? They really don't. They're just particular. If you've ever seen a person with that mental disorder of OCD, you, you will be, like, freaked out. Because they will go to a door, and they will go to lock that door, and they will lock it, unlock it, lock it. Unlock it, lock it, unlock it, lock it, unlock it, lock it, unlock And they have to do it a specific number of times. But then if a little bit of doubt creeps into their mind that maybe they didn't count right, guess what happens? They start the process all over again. You can spend 10 minutes watching a person sit there playing with a deadbolt. And you're just sitting there going, dude, it's locked. <laughs> but for them... That's safety. Now look, I understand that that is a mental, you know, issue that has to be dealt with. But when we're talking about the repetition of the things of God, isn't that safety? The other day I pointed out in Psalm 136, how many times does this talk about the mercy of God enduring forever? You go to the last part of Psalms. How many times does it say, praise ye the Lord? I mean, there's one Psalm where that's all it is, is praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord, praise ye. I mean, you're sitting there going, how many times do you have to repeat it? Till it sinks in. Till it's necessary. God has a tendency to repeat himself. Don't we find some of the same principles in the Old Testament and the same principles in the New Testament? Doesn't he quote verses from uh, uh, in the New Testament from the Old Testament? Isn't he repeating himself? I mean, how many different ways do we need a parable mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? There are no parables over there, or uh, excuse me, there's um, uh, uh, limited things that are over there in John. But but you know, you see those there for a reason. So I mean, again, he's doing that to again reinforce. Now, again, the reason why I'm saying this is because there needs to be this understanding that in order to beware, we have to have a reinforced mindset of how to think scripturally. So look at the next verse here. Look at the next verse where he goes into this. He starts talking about this. Um, uh, in, in verse 2, he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision." So, you know, again, we're talking about beware. Turn over the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, obviously, I, I really like the book of Ephesians. As you guys know, I keep saying that. But I, I, I want you to look here at what he specifically talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. 
And um, he says, oh, let's see here. Let's pick this up. Um, I lost my place on this right there. Verse, uh, verse 14, he says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. And he says in verse 15, see then, you know, now that you're saved, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, what is he saying with this one? This is in the same conjunction of where he's going over here saying, beware. This is in the same conjunction over there in the book of Acts when he left Ephesus, warning the elders of the church that, 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 that false doctrine and deceivers were going to creep in. This is the same thing that, that, that Peter was warning of. This is the same thing that, that John's warning of. This is the same exact thing that Christ warned over and over and over again that was going to happen. And the reason that we have to begin to understand that is because we have to walk circumspectly. Now again, circumspectly, you know, we have a tendency to think in, in very flat terms. When we think of time, we think of time as flat. I've had long conversations about time with Bob and, and we, you know, I started getting a little crazy and that's what happens when, you know, you get late night people rambling on about stuff. <laughs> but, you know, we think of it as just one single solid line. That's how we usually think about everything else. We think it in a two-dimensional play, plane. So when we think circumspectly, we think, oh, okay, so that just means I need to be kind of aware around me, right? Well, yes and no. Look, it's not just in this plane. It's not just forward, right hand, left hand, and back. I'm surprised I got that one right. <laughs> Praise the Lord for small victories, right? <clears throat> no, it's also where your feet are going, knowing where you've been, looking to where you're going, looking even further past that mark, looking towards heaven and seeing that what's going on there, continuing to have that prioritized relationship with God, all of that. It's a 360 degree, it's a sphere. It's all the way around. And again, this is the same concept. That, I mean, it, it, even the world teaches this. You know, even in tactical situations, they're always saying, you need to have your head on a swivel. You need to be constantly looking around. You need to be constantly scanning. You need to be constantly looking for threats. Because if you just get tunnel vision, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot. There's a test that, that, that um, law enforcement officers or people that are going into law enforcement uh, have to take, and it's an observation test. And part of it is they, they put you in front of a screen, and they say, okay, act like you're riding in this patrol car, and you're riding along in this patrol car, and they, they purposely do this. They put it so just it looks like you're looking out the front window, the windshield. Driving along and, and, uh, they're driving along and, uh, uh, there's this, uh, red Corvette or something right in front of you. And I mean, it's red and it's just, I mean, it's in your face. The exhaust is one of those ones that you can hear it. It sounds good. Not one of those cheesy ones, but you know, you're looking at it and the guy's kind of not driving real well. And, 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 and what happens is these people, they won't tell them what to observe, and they will they'll say, okay, well, we just want you to note your observations. And they can't write anything down or anything like that. They've got to just, you know, use their memory because they want to see. 
So uh, at the end of the test, you know, it's, and it's only a few minutes. So it's not really long. And at the end of the, the, the test, they say, okay, uh, go ahead and tell us what you saw. And these guys, I mean, some of them, some of the gearheads, man, they're sitting there telling the, you know, exact make and sub, you know, sub, uh, manufacturing date of when that Corvette was made and what tires it had and what exhaust system. Even though they haven't even gotten close to the car, they could probably say, oh, because of that sound, I can tell it has this size engine in it. And, you know, they're all just focused on that. And that's a, that is a premium color that was only, uh, you know, offered in 1998 and blah, 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 and stuff like this. And then they ask the question, uh, how many of you guys saw the guy on the corner with the shotgun? And they're like, wait, what? And they'll play it back, and there's a guy standing there with a shotgun. And guess what happened? Everybody was focused on the red car. Tunnel vision. Now, how many times do we do that in our life? We get tunnel vision. And we're not praying to God, asking what our direction should be. We're not looking to the forward where, where the promises of God. We're not realizing there's some things that we have forgotten in the past, but there are things that we have been forgiven of. There are things that we need to make sure we understand what is truth. We need to understand what is false. I mean, all of these things, this is the circumspect life. So when he's saying beware to these, uh, to these Philippians, this is what he's talking about. He wants them fully aware of what's going on. I mean, that's, that's exactly what that word beware is. It's, you know, two words kind of crammed together. Be aware. Make sure that you are, are awake and you can see exactly what's happening. And part of it is understanding time. How little we have and what we use it for. Now, again, when we go back over here to, to, to chapter 2, he mentions three different types to be aware of. Dogs, evil workers, and concision. So let's approach the first one. And let's go over to uh, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 66. <clears throat> And I have very lovely written down a wrong reference. Isn't that great? Hold on a second. I am not checking Facebook. I'm checking. I have some notes here. So hold on a second. Um, I thought I had it written down. Um, I don't, I'm looking for the one where he refers to him as dumb dogs. If anybody can find that quicker than I can. Um, it's important to see this one, so I'm not going to just skip past it. Ah, how about we try Isaiah 56? Might help if I actually write the right chapter. <laughs> uh, Isaiah chapter 56. There we go. 
Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 10, it's talking about uh, the nation of Israel and what is going on. He says, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Now, it, it, I mean, I have three dogs and I will tell you, you know what most of their day consists of? And when the back window, the blinds are open, guess where they're at on a nice sunny day? They're laying there in the sun, just, I mean, get working on their tan. And they love it. You know, Daisy, the big one, will come in and she'll, she'll be in, in my uh, office and she'll be in there. And today I'm, I'm sitting there working and what is she doing? She's just sleeping. She's just sleeping. And you want to know how I know she's sleeping? <laughs> She snores. It's exactly what she does. And here he's making this comparison to the watchmen, the, the, the ones that are responsible for the spiritual condition of Israel are asleep on the job. They've just, he says they're dumb. They're not barking. Because what is, I mean, again, what is the greatest security system you could ever have? A dog. It's better than Brinks. Why? Because a dog makes noise. They bark. And they are irritating. And people will pay attention to barking dogs. Unless they've been, you know, around barking dogs their entire life, like if somebody works at a humane society, then they just learn to tune it out. But that's what they're there for. They bark. They make people aware. It's one of the best things that you can have, to, to, you know, if you're, if you have property, cause that dog, what happens? They will often, if it's a, you know, a good dog, will alert to whatever it is and begin to growl and bark. I mean, our dogs do that. Every time they see, you know, the whole, the, the whole bunny family come through and torment our dogs out, you know, they're out there standing out there outside, just enjoying their grass. And, you know, the whole family comes through and our dogs are at the window barking and they're all carrying on. And, and then we let them out and bunnies run off and then the neighbor's dogs start barking and then our dogs start barking. And pretty soon, you know, everybody's yelling for the dogs to shut up. Dogs bark, right? That's what they're supposed to be doing. You know what false doctrine does? It lulls you into a false sense of security and safety. And then what happens? And then you get bit. Because what else do dogs do? They bite. We got our little Rolo and it was told to us, uh, be careful, you know, this guy's a biter. And yeah, he was. But you know what? It's like, that's what dogs do. They bite. That's why God created them. I mean, you're not going to see them stand up and if they don't like it, slap you. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They bite. You know, they growl and they bite. It's what dogs do. When they're not, they're not happy with whatever is going on, they will bite. They will defend themselves. We had a situation where, where, um, you know, he, uh, Rolo had a, a, one of these little puppy teeth was kind of hanging on and he kept playing with it and he was whining and, and we were just going to go in and I was just going to go grab it. He didn't want anybody touching it. He didn't want anybody touching it. 
And I, I go in there to stick my finger in there and just kind of grab it. And he just <clears throat> chomps down. And he was a little guy. I mean, he was only like this big. I was afraid if I stepped on him, it would have been all over with. That's how small he was. Do you know what he did? That little incisor here, it popped a hole clean through my my fingernail. Cracked it. We all heard it. It was like, <clears throat> like, ooh, that's not good. That's what a dog does. Dogs bite. That's what false doctrine does. It bites. And, and the end result is, this is what he's comparing the nation of Israel to. Dogs. I mean, again, this was a high insult for him. Go over to the book of Psalms in uh, chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 22 and in uh, verse, verse 16. <clears throat> this is a messianic psalm talking about the crucifixion. And it says here um, in verse 16, for dogs have compassed, uh, have, have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I mean, this is obviously very clearly discussing the crucifixion. This is prophecy of the crucifixion. Now, who surrounded him? Roman soldiers, Pharisees, and Jews. And he just called them all wicked and dogs. Now, if you refer to a Jew as a dog, that is a very, very, very insulting thing to call them. It's a, it's almost as bad uh, uh, as as calling them a pig. But again, God makes it clear that he says, look, you know, when you're starting to cast your crumbs before dogs and your pearls before swine, you know who he was talking to? He was talking about the nation of Israel, the way that they were receiving things, or I should say the way they weren't receiving things. So we see very clearly he's talking about this. Take a look at uh, verse 20. It says, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. And again, here he says, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast to, uh, um, heard uh, me from the horns of the unicorns. Now, again, yes, I know, it said unicorns in there. Not the unicorns you're thinking of, okay? <laughs> Different ones, all right? But very clearly here, he's talking about them in an evil sense. In an evil sense. And what is it that they did with Jesus Christ? They falsely accused him in order to get him crucified. Falsehood. Falsehood. Take a look at uh, Psalm chapter 59. Psalm chapter 59. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 59, and uh, take a look at verse verse 6. <clears throat> well, let's back up here just a little bit uh, to, to see exactly what he's talking about. In verse 1, he says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity, and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. There are my, uh, the, the mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin. O Lord, they run and prepare themselves, uh, without my fault. Awake to help me and behold, 
Thou, therefore, O God, God, uh, God, Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. He says that they return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are they in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? And what are they doing? Barking like a dog. Barking like a dog. Now, it's interesting here that he he also, you know, makes a, a comment of about how they belch. Now, again, you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, this is a weird subject matter to have on a Wednesday. Well, it's on Wednesday night, so we can talk about weird subject matters on Wednesday, okay? <laughs> but again, I mean, I'm not trying to be rude or crass. But when somebody belches, it makes a large, you know, guttural sound frequently. And the purpose, you know, again, is they're releasing just a bunch of air. Right? That's all it is, is you're releasing air. So I want you to think about this. He just compared him to a barking dog, not a biting dog, but a barking dog, and somebody that is releasing air. He says this is all they are. You know what that means? It means that their words have no substance. Their words have no substance. They're false. They're accusing them of things and they're saying, who cares? Who's going to hear what I say? This is vanity at its highest. At, at, at its highest. Go over to, uh, verse 14, same chapter. And he says, and in the evening, let them uh, return and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. What is it they're doing? They're running around. You know, our dogs will do that. We'll be downstairs and all of a sudden, for some strange reason, Bella will get out of her, her little princess bed and she'll walk up and she'll start playing around with something. And then she'll start playing around with Rolo. And we hear him upstairs. And we'll hear this, you know, little scurry, little scurry. And then we'll hear him run from Tama's room, run into our master bedroom, run into the schoolroom, run down the hall, run into my office, run back. I mean, they're, and they're just running this circuit all over. And it sounds like a herd of cattle upstairs. And what are they doing? They're just running around. Dogs do that. Dogs just wander and run around. What are they looking for? Next victim, next meal, whatever it is they're going to get. So when we start realizing what God's talking about here, he's talking a lot about how the person that is, is, is filtering out this false doctrine, how they behave. Number one, their words are empty. Number one, they're, they're kind of like that lion that wandereth about seeking or roaming about seeking whom we may devour. But the same situation that you have here, because in verse uh, 15, he says, let them wander up and down for meat. And grudge if they be not satisfied. What are they looking for? They're looking for their next victim. This is the mindset of these people. And they have no care about anyone else. Now this is the important part. He is saying beware because this dog isn't going to care for you. Now look, we have dogs today and they're domesticated. We're not talking about domesticated dogs. Wolves. Do not really care about your feelings. They don't. 
And people are like, well, you can kind of, you know, you can kind of make them docile and don't. (laughs) Don't. That's just not who they are. That's just not who they are. You ever try to go up and pet a coyote? Generally, they don't want, they don't want that to happen. They're scared of you. They will bite you. And then you have to go to the doctor, get a whole bunch of shots that are really fun. Not. But, you know, here we see exactly how he's comparing them. These are, these are unclean animals. And he's saying this is how they're behaving. Turn over the book of Proverbs, a couple pages over, Proverbs chapter 26. And I want us to get this mindset because sometimes, you know, people will entertain some false doctrine. Don't. Don't. If God refers to him as an unclean animal, the person that propagates that, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful. In Proverbs chapter 26 and in verse 11, he says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. A fool that doesn't care about what God says will go right back to what he just vomited up. The same mess. Now look, how many of us have seen a dog do that? I mean, we've got dogs. We understand exactly what happens with that. They're not the cleanest animals in the world. And again, you know, we're talking about weird things on Wednesday night. I get it. But again, I want you to understand, that's how God considers sin. Vomit. Now, again, vomit is, I mean, you know, there there are some people that can't even stand the, the word, let alone the sound of it, or the smell, or anything. And I'm probably, some people are probably like, oh, this is way too much, way too much. I get it, but I want you to understand that's the same exact response God has to our sin. So the end result is, if we are allowing a dog to come into our life, and if you will, produce this, that we would frequently go back to, then we are now engaging in a sinful behavior that God is disapproving of and says, I don't want you to do that as a Christian. Why? Because you're not going to be able to rejoice in the Lord if this happens and occurs. Because, again, as I said, false doctrine will rob you of your joy so quickly. You know how many people I have walked around and I have seen? I mean, go to, go to the Middle East. And I want you to, if you were to just walk through any market, I want you to count how many people in there are smiling. They're not. They're oppressed. They're not oppressed necessarily by their governments, but they're oppressed by a very, very, very heavily humanistic, flesh-oriented uh, um, religion that gives them no hope and no no guarantee of even getting into paradise. We're like, well, if they blow themselves up in a mart, no, that doesn't even guarantee them. Well, if they do the 510, no, all I said, that doesn't even guarantee you. You want to know who, who determines? All it determines. And he's fickle and he can determine whoever he wants to. And he even says in the Quran, he wants all Muslims to go to hell. 
You're sitting there going, what? Yeah. That's his mindset. So, yeah, of course, what do you have? You have a bunch of young men walk around, and guess what they are? They're angry because they have no hope. But you take a young man and you give him a Bible and you give him Jesus Christ and he follows the will of God. Guess what you're going to wind up seeing? Joy. Happiness. Big difference. Big difference. Sin comes in. The demeanor changes. The countenance falls. Just like that. You know, again, you know, we go over to, to the book of Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 15 and, uh, and, uh, just again to see this. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on this because again, I want us to understand exactly how God views the, this issue. This issue of false doctrine is something that God takes very seriously. Very seriously. Something that is not truth is not something God wants you meddling with. He makes it very clear. It's not supposed to be meddled with. In uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15, <clears throat> here, here he is having this conversation um, uh, when this woman in verse 21, then Jesus went uh, and departed, went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, here's the situation. She's a Canaanite. Canaanites are not Jews. She's a Gentile. As a matter of fact, technically, the nation of Israel was supposed to wipe her people out. In verse uh, 23, it says, But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, again, you have to understand that context and that comment here. We're talking about the book of Matthew, talking about the kingdom of heaven, talking about, you know, being offered to the nation of Israel. He wasn't offering the kingdom of heaven to the Gentiles. That's Israel. The kingdom of God, different story. But what we see here in verse 25, it says, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Very different this time. She's now acknowledging who he is and worshiping him. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He's testing her. He's testing her. Is she trying to get something that she's not supposed to have? Right now, there's a bunch of people running around trying to claim the promises of Israel. And... uh no, you don't want to do that. Because if you get their promises, you also get their curses. Just keep that in mind. In verse 27, and she said, truth, Lord. Notice how she responds to him. Truth, Lord. Hit the dogs, eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. <laughs> Saying, can I just get a crumb? Can I just get one little thing? Look, she, that's all she wanted. In the world, in her world, the one thing that she wanted that she knew she could get from Jesus Christ, the Lord, was, was, was an insignificant little crumb. She just wanted that and she was going to be fine with it. She didn't want a whole slice of bread. She didn't want the whole bread loaf. She didn't want a feast at the table. 
She was content with a crumb. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. That is an amazing thing to think about. Now, again, there's a lot of pictures here of exactly what's going to go on in the kingdom of heaven, how the Gentiles need to come and worship uh, Jesus Christ. But what we see here is the response was faith. Was faith. The first time wasn't response. She didn't come with the faith, come in faith. The second time she did because she worshiped. She obeyed. There was obedience. She believed. And here we see exactly what the end result was. But again, I want to point out that she's, he's referring to her as something that is outside of God outside of what God's will is. Now, this is the same thing that we see back over here. Now, again, the nation of Israel, when they are getting called dogs, as he is calling the Judaizers here in Philippians chapter 3, I want you to understand, that is a high insult for them. That is a high insult. But it's necessary so that the Philippians will understand the behavior that these Judaizers are exhibiting. Now, this is, this is very key as we get to the rest. Now, I know I spent a lot of time focusing on this because, again, it's important to view it the same way God views it. He views sin and false doctrine in the same category as, as, as vomit. <laughs> this is why he says, beware. If somebody tells you to beware, they say, don't go over there. Because there's, there's, there's mud. Don't go over there because there's sticker bushes. Don't go over there because you're going to get hurt or whatever it may be. Somebody may say, stay away from that part of the neighborhood. It's bad. Or somebody may say, whatever, just beware. Somebody gives a warning. And if there's warnings in scripture like this about anything, we should definitely heed it. We should definitely heed it. Now, I didn't even get to the to, to the next part there where he starts talking about uh, evil workers. I'm looking at the time. I'm seeing I went a little past already. But I want us to kind of focus on this and begin to understand the way that the Lord sees things. This is This is what he wants us to see. Now, again, this is a lot of repetition because we know false doctrine is bad. But we've got to get to that lesson. And we've got to build on that lesson. You know, when you're taught, 2 plus 2 equals 4, you build off of that, right? Next thing you know is you're doing long division. Next thing you know is you're doing algebra. Next thing you know is you're trying to find a way to get out of trigonometry. (laughs) Next thing you know is you go to a liberal arts college so you don't have to take any science and math. (laughs) I mean, whatever it may be, is is you, you realize it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. You know, Albert Einstein had to start with a very simple learning how to count. And he is, or was, a great mathematician. Sir Isaac Newton, which was far smarter than him, started out learning how to count just like you did. And he developed Newtonian physics as well as uh, beginning to start moving to the area that, that Albert Einstein was dealing with. 
And he was a smart guy. And you know what? Even though he, he did have some weird doctrines, I will tell you this, that man did love the Lord. Sir Isaac Newton did love the Lord. Again, some of his beliefs were a little off, but again, if you look at the time and the understanding that they didn't have good scripture all back then, uh, it's kind of understandable. But, uh, but again, just kind of keep that in mind. We're building on these principles as we move forward with this. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that you've given to us. And Lord, um, just how refreshing it is to get into your word. And Lord, how refreshing it is to just see your concern for us. And Lord, we know that uh, the world and those that are involved in, in false doctrine and the elevation of their own flesh have no care for us. Not the care, Lord, that you have for us. Not the care that you instruct us to have for each other. Not that mind of Christ, Lord, that you freely give to us and tell us that we should have. Lord, I pray we would understand those principles. Again, Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray we'll just meditate on these things, be ready to come back and uh, learn and listen to you uh, on Sunday, Lord. And again, I just thank you for those that are here. Take us home safely tonight, Lord. And this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.